Hi, uh, welcome to the sixth episode of season three of our podcast. I'm Mary Abazia, and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellam. Hi, guys. Hey, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hi, Sean. So, hey, Tom. <laughs> so, um, this is the second of um, a two podcasts. We're calling the whole thing a marketing casebook because we're really looking for. Um, real issues that are out there that you may be dealing with. And we try to figure out what it means to, especially to our B&B clients. So uh, we, because of our experience with a lot of pharma and medical devices, uh, we're going to do a second podcast that focuses on what we call loss of exclusivity or LOE. And by the way, any industry is dealing with some, they just don't call it LOE, but it's where you have competition from a very low price solutions that start to take over your industry and, and the game changes. So you have to deal with it. So, Sean, what is uh, today's episode? Tonight's episode, the case of the hidden influence. <laughs> Tom, what is this all about? Sean, you ought to be a voice actor. I really think that that's a, a side hustle for you. But anyway, the hidden influencer. <laughs> um Last week, we talked about Viagra and loss of exclusivity. And it was kind of a special case because Viagra is a, a drug that uh, the people that need it don't like to talk about it. Their very successful defense against loss of exclusivity involved things like finding new channels, more discrete channels to reach um, customers, and also involve some, some branding and, you know, a new... Uh, brand from Pfizer that competed um, in some segments against uh, the generic competitors while the Viagra brand itself kind of lived on. And it was very successful. But there is a more common kind of um, situation that revolves around loss of exclusivity that many pharmaceuticals and in fact, many non-pharmaceuticals face um, as they mature in their life cycle. It's a situation where power shifts are missed. And when power moves in these mature industries to different stakeholders, it's also a situation where if it's not recognized, then somebody who's really important in the industry isn't being marketed to, their needs aren't understood. And we see this situation quite a bit in mature markets, lots of exclusivity markets. So that's what we're going to cover today. And Mary's experienced this quite a bit, as have Sean and I. Um, and so, Mary, why don't you talk a little bit about what you've observed a little bit more specifically than I outlined there? Yeah, thanks. Um, I, well, <laughs> we always get, uh, this is so important to our brand. You know, we're about to go through something very major and we have a half a day to do it. <laughs> so we're like, okay. And so, uh, you know, we're always up for a challenge. And um, if you have done any work with us, you know that our, our first go-to is the ability to compete. So we led this cross-functional team that was working on a brand going, you know, LOE or, or loss, of, loss of exclusivity. So it was going to have to fight with a lot of generics out there, we did the ability to compete and we saw that we should be winning in the market with, uh, with the doctors, you know, the prescribers. And um, it just didn't make any sense because we knew for a fact that we were already starting to lose market share. So when that doesn't sink, usually you have to take a step back. And in this case, we started talking with the group a little bit more and um, they were starting to talk about other influencers that were 
you know, possibly starting to uh, make decisions. So we said, let's let's have a little more discipline. Let's spend a little more time here, you know, work working lunch, and let's do the influencer map. And uh, it was amazing. Once we started to do just a very simple influencer map, it showed that the doctor that we were focusing on was, you know, a, a, a large circle, but it, it was shrinking in its influence. And then if you looked at a couple of the other ones, the, um, the pharmacies were uh, getting, they were, you know, fairly small, but they were getting bigger. And the consumers or the uh, the caregivers, the people that are that are actually buying the the drugs, they um, they were getting much bigger. They were very small, but their influence was getting significantly bigger because of all the information that was out there. Uh, and so once we right sized, you know, our our um, weights, if you would, we realized that we needed to do a couple more ability to compete. So once we analyzed the uh, the pharmacy. We found, and we that was interesting with that is, is it wasn't just the pharmacist that was, you know, filling the pill jars, but it was the business manager that was making the decision on what they were going to actually have in their pharmacies and how they were going to, how they were going to promote it and all the things they were going to do to to merchandise around it. That was an aha. That it was a different uh, person within the pharmacy than they had always thought. So once we did that one, we saw that that was a very low score. And the consumers was a little bit higher, um, but they, there was some significant gaps even with them. So uh, it, it completely told the story. Then we saw why we weren't making headway anymore in the market, that we, we needed to shift resources to these other influencer groups. So it was a huge aha. And we've seen it in a, several companies that we've been working with recently where you kind of have to, you have to go back and really look, as you said, Tom, for that hidden influencer or influencers. So, uh, so Mary, yeah. So Mary, what was really happening here, quite literally, was in in this market, and 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 we've seen this a lot of times. Where you know traditionally before loss of exclusivity or early in the in the in the life cycle of of the of the product, the doctor was really important. Consumers relied on the end user relied on the doctor's recommendation. Pharmacists really did not try to switch people out from that brand choice early on. Limited competition, no generics in the market. But quite literally, when the generics came on the market, now the business managers at the pharmacies were putting pressure on the pharmacists. And even if the prescription from the doctor came in under the brand name, the pharmacist was saying to the the, the consumer as they picked up their prescription, hey, do you know that there is a generic equivalent here that you could have. And a lot of that switching was taking place. And so the brand name company began to say, well, we don't really know what this business owner's criteria is for pushing um, suggestions towards the pharmacist, nor do we know what the pharmacist's needs are. And by studying those two stakeholders and figuring out a value proposition, which Mary, I think it was was really to to say, look, you know, sometimes switching out to generic is uh, appropriate, but sometimes it's not. Here's the cases where. Um, Mr. Miss business owner, Mr. Miss pharmacist, where you shouldn't switch it out. And they were able to to hold on to this particular company that we're thinking of was able to hold on to their share. Exactly. Exactly. Sean, you've seen things like this? Yeah. And and, and also I just want to want to make the point it 
it, it can be broader than we're talking about a very specific case of loss of exclusivity and how this highlighted the shifting in different influencers and different power amongst the consumer types. But that happens a lot anyway, right? I mean, it's a, it's a discipline that any business can apply regardless or not if they're heading towards loss of exclusivity, because sometimes when we do the, the, the classic influencer map, you know, what's what's the most important element that we often emphasize? It's how things change over time, right? And I think this is a special case, but even in any market, a mature market, things can shift and it can shift for many reasons, one of which can simply be competitor activity. You know, some competitor can figure out if we speak to this person in the in the sort of value chain, supply chain or what have you, we've got a strong message, a strong incentive for them. And you you might see the ground shifting under your feet. So the influencer map is, 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 is it should be an early warning system as well as a uh, a reaction to something like loss of exclusivity. It's a discipline that you know, we encourage people to do do a lot, and and it's not always um, you know this specific case, right? It, it can happen for many reasons. Well, it's, yeah, it can be a trap actually in mature markets, right? You've been in that business in that industry a long time. You think you have it down cold. You you know who the stakeholders are, and maybe you lose a little bit of the discipline of regularly visiting these power shifts. And what we're saying is that is a big mistake because in, in, in instances where there's change in your industry, by the way, that's all the time now, <laughs> you know, change is constant in, in just every industry. But at the time of change, um, if you're not on top of it and you're just assuming that, oh, this, this stayed old market, there's just not going to be a, a power shift, that's when you're going to miss it. And that's what's happening in a lot of these markets. And that, you know, that's what we're noticing. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that um, you're, you're talking a lot about kind of getting stuck in your mindset too. So who you invite into your party for for this, I think is key. And what I've seen with a couple of companies is um, they start out by saying, well, these are the people that know this brand best. They should be in the work session. And then they get an epiphany and say, oh, wait a minute, we need to invite some people that, you know, think outside of what we do. And so they invite, in, in their cases, they invited brand managers from other brands that still touched that market space, but in a very different way. And so they were able to say, hey, wait a minute, have you thought about what might be happening here and here, especially if they're in different stages of their life cycle? And always, always, always good to get, you know, a couple of salespeople, even someone that might be touching the customer in other ways, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a customer hotline or uh, some type of support, because they're going to be able to, to say, look, you guys, I think that there's some changes that we might not be thinking about as opposed to being married to the next year's plan. So who they invite to the party, I think, is probably one of those best practices that I'm seeing through this. Any other best practices that you guys see? Before we go on, I just wanted to say, I think it's it, all of our tools are, are connected. That's the beauty of the system that we work within is that every tool informs another tool, which deepens your understanding. And and these are very much tied to um, trends analysis, which I think, not, not to get a plug too far ahead, I think that might be our next podcast is talking about trends. But if you think about how you're looking to the future, don't just use the influencer map or or, or, or revisit it when something shifts you know, ask yourself what could shift, what is going to happen? Do we see any trends coming along that might increase the power or the influence of a particular group or conversely diminish someone else's? 
and use it as part of that scenario planning or that assumption-based planning that we teach about how to think three years ahead, two years ahead, or whatever the time frame is, and 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 make this a regular part of the discipline, not not just a reactive tool and don't use it once and done right because that's the other thing you do this right i've got my influencer map that's on the wall that's done it's the minute it's done it's changing it's a dynamic chart and and it's just the speed of change that we need to get our arms around so so get you know use it frequently don't don't wait to be forced to use it i would guess. so sean um your point about speed you know in in the case i was describing and in a lot of cases that we're all involved in um there's no time you know, <laughs> um, so how do you address that, you know, in, in terms of the reality of everyone's running around trying to get stuff done? And it's a luxury to be able to, to do, you know, all of our tools if they're lucky, if they get to do, you know, one, two or three of them. How do you address that with, with people you're working with? You know, it's all about the prioritization. If you see these as a, a time drain, if you see it as something that's interrupting your day to day, then you're not truly incorporating it as a, as a planning tool, as a thinking tool. You're, you're incorporating it as an interruption. And I always try and encourage people to say, yeah, there's a, there's a big investment up front to get everything lined up and everyone educated and contributing to whatever the tool is. But once you've got that tool in existence and you understand how it works and what the inputs are and how to read the outputs, then little and often, is always the way because when you save things up and think, right, we've got to have a massive planning session. When I worked at my last corporate employer, pretty much we had a, a four to six week window every year that was all about our three year strategic plan. And that was an interruption. We stopped doing anything day to day as we as we focus on the future. And and we evolved from that into this little and often, these these monthly reviews, these micro reviews, these tweaks and adjustments. And that's the discipline you have to get in. Then it doesn't seem like it's a, a time drain. It seems like it's part of your day to day. You think of the amount of meetings you get to go to that you walk away from thinking, did I add value there? Was that worthwhile? Steal some of that time back and make this part of it. It's all about raising the priority of this sort of activity. That's how I approach. The beautiful thing about an influencer map is that it doesn't ever change a hundred percent from year to year you know if you as a organization can do a really good job the first time you create one you do indeed have to pull it out on a regular basis because there are changes but it's not like you have to recreate it so it can be really time efficient it's one of those tools that i think you is indispensable that you can't do without but you know some years you might look at it and say there's just really a couple of, of marginal shifts here. But at least the idea of looking at it on a regular basis makes sure that you uh, don't miss a, a, a big change. And, and, and Mary, um, just a, a couple of weeks ago, we're working with, and I were working with a, a team, and we said, you know, that they, you know, they, they looked at their influencer map and they had the same priorities as they had from the year before. And it was the first time that they had ever built a map. We made them look at it again. <laughs> we said, if, if you're not changed at least a little bit by this map, especially the first time that you built it, then you are probably not looking at it deeply enough because just the dynamicism in industries of all types suggests that there's probably some shift in 
the top stakeholders that you're, you're looking at. So you absolutely have to, the, at least the first time, make some changes or you, you, you probably are just kind of, you know, looking at things uh, with, with the past in mind rather than the future. Mm, yeah. And I think another thing on this, Tom, is, is you know, another sort of best practice is, is in common with many of our tools, this one really works when it's very collaborative and wide reaching. You know, you want to get as many inputs as you can, because the thing about shifting power, shifting trends, changes in influence in your market is you're not always the best place to see it. You might be the marketing team, you might be the sales team, but sometimes you can just see through customer service or even your legal team can pick up on regulatory changes or something. And the more people that contribute to this, it's one of those tools that I always find benefits from a, a, a wide range of, of, of inputs from across the business, not limiting it just to the commercial folks. Yeah, I, to add to what you're saying, Sean, is not only so that you really don't miss that that hidden influencer but also there's work to be done. I mean, the, you know, the good news, bad news, once you do find those hidden influencers, it means you're going to have to shift resources. So if you are in legal, or let's say, you know, if you're in legal, you might have to write up new types of contracts. If you're over in, you know, medical, uh, if things are shifting, do I need to, to work on some trials that are different than what I've worked on in the past? So it, you know, the good news is, is that you find them. And then the hard news is, is you've got to do something. So having that cross-functional group in there, um, everyone syncs up in the line around what are we going to do? Because it's the worst thing you do is find it and then not do a thing about it and watch your competitor take you by store because they, they see it eventually, you know, hopefully, hopefully after you and they do something about it. So it's all about the action, I think, for, from what I've seen, too. Yeah, I, I love it. Like like every single tool, the, the the information they provide is only of use when you when you put it to use, right? It's always about the the uh, it's always about the verb. It's about doing something. Yeah. So, Tom, do you want to kind of wrap us up with uh, a lesson that you think that that people should think about? I think it's pretty simple. I think that if you're not looking at an influencer map in your industry once a year, and especially. Um, if you're getting complacent and your product's getting mature and you think that the stakeholders aren't shifting just because it's a mature industry, you're probably making a big mistake. Mm. All right. So um, we hope that you've enjoyed this this session and uh, and have thought differently about uh, um, a competitive landscape that you may be facing. If you like what you're talking, what we've been talking about, please go to theaccidentalmarketer.com and click on the podcast button. And you can go to our podcast page on iTunes and uh, give us a rating. And we always love your emails as well. So thank you very much. <laughs>